Future Pulse, investigating innovative cardiovascular research and the intersection of academic theory and clinical practice. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, interventional cardiologist and director of cardiovascular research at CAFC. Good morning. I have the pleasure of speaking with one of the great cardiovascular researchers working today, Dr. Paul Ricker. Dr. Ricker is the Eugene Brunwald Professor of Medicine at Harvard University and the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and he directs the Center for Cardiovascular Disease Prevention. He has been at the forefront of what I believe is an extremely important area of cardiovascular research, coronary inflammation. Over the last 30 years, he developed high-sensitivity C-reactive protein as an important marker of inflammation and cardiovascular risk and has been working on therapies to treat inflammation in order to improve cardiovascular outcomes. He recently published a pivotal paper regarding the role of HSCRP and residual risk, and I've been a fan of his work since my early training in cardiology, and it's an honor to speak with you today. Tom, it's really a pleasure to be here. When we discuss cardiovascular risk, most of our patients are aware of the Framingham Risk Score, or at least some of their components, smoking, diabetes, et cetera. And especially, they understand cholesterol and will most likely know about HDL and LDL cholesterol. Can you explain where inflammation sits with these other risk factors? Sure. So we've now known for 35, 40 years that in addition to the major risk factors, which remain very important, so we don't want our patients to smoke, blood pressure needs to be controlled, LDL cholesterol needs to be controlled, there is this second process that broadly speaking, is inflammatory. The same way that you might get an ache or pain after going out for a long run, it's a different kind of inflammation, but it's an inflammation that affects the arteries directly. And that inflammatory process can be measured by a very simple blood test uh, that's called high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, or HSCRP. And we've known for a long time now that HSCRP predicts cardiovascular risk, which about as much fidelity as does blood pressure or cholesterol. So they all matter. Most patients who ultimately develop actual atherosclerotic events, heart attacks and strokes, have both this cholesterol process and the inflammatory process. What's new is that only in the last few years have we begun to measure the inflammation and learn that we can actually target the inflammation and lower it the same way we can lower cholesterol and lower blood pressure. When I'm sitting with a patient and trying to determine which therapies to use, I will use high-sensitivity CRP as a tiebreaker it may not be using this marker really to its fullest potential. In one of your early studies, the JUPITER trial, it seems to indicate that patients even with adequate lipid levels may benefit from a statin if they have elevated high-sensitivity CRP. Well, that's right. So in primary prevention, by definition, groups of patients who have some risk factors for heart disease but haven't had a heart attack or stroke, we can prevent that first event by giving a statin and we can give that to patients who have high cholesterol. But in our Jupiter trial, we showed you can give it to patients who have a high CRP and a low cholesterol, and they, if anything, get an even greater risk reduction. So you're right, Tom. I think patients with an elevated CRP and or an elevated cholesterol should talk to their physicians about taking a statin. How do you distinguish between CRP as a marker of inflammation and as a marker for cardiovascular risk? Or do you think that this is an important thing to distinguish? So we've learned over the years that almost all inflammatory disorders, and I think most patients are familiar with like psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease, and there's many of these types of disorders that are really autoimmune disorders. Every single one is associated with increased cardiovascular risk. That's important. 
it's telling us that this inflammation that we can measure with the high sensitivity CRP is a signal that we're at risk. It's silent. We don't know it. Um, it's silent the same way blood pressure is silent. It's silent the same way cholesterol is silent. We need to know about it. Our physician needs to know about it, and we need to address it directly. And again, I want to emphasize the most important first way to address a high CRP is eat well, exercise, stop smoking. All these things lower inflammation. They all lower cardiovascular risk. So we can reinforce very good basic primary care with this biomarker. But then there will be patients who, even after doing that, the levels are high. Those are ones where you might want to consider a statin. And in secondary prevention, patients who've had a prior heart attack, we now have drugs that directly target inflammation that lower the risk just as much, if not more, than lowering the cholesterol does. So it's a very exciting time. Are there any specific dietary recommendations that you would hear for, for patients who have elevated inflammation? Yeah. So Tom, I'm a simple preventive cardiologist. My view is if it grows on a farm, eat it. If it's wrapped in plastic, don't eat it. That's pretty much how I look at when I shop in the supermarket. I want to go for the fresh vegetables. I want to go with things that are green. I, you know, I pr probably prefer fish over chicken, over steak in that order. But I also tell my patients, go ahead and cheat once in a while. Life is meant to be lived. If you want to go a vegan or vegetarian route, God bless you. But if you can just modify your diet away from a traditional American diet into a more farm-based local produce diet, I think you'll get about 85% of the way there. Exercise seems to decrease inflammation, but high-intensity exercise training may increase it. Do you have an exercise prescription that you recommend? Well, Tom, my patients know that I play tennis three times a week and that I work out every single day. And I do that for a lot of reasons. I'm 63 years old and it just feels better and I get lots of less aches and pains by keeping things moving on a regular basis. The high intensity exercise data, that's really like when you run a marathon or something like that, which, you know, hey, if you can, great. But I'm at a point in my life where I just want to not get injured when I go out and play tennis. That's my victory lap is if I can walk off the court feeling pretty good. I do model exercise in my clinic. So if you come into my clinic, sometimes patients are a little put off. You see tennis rackets, you see smelly sneakers, but there's a reason they're there. I'm trying to let my patients know indirectly, this is a real part of my life. I do it for pleasure, I do it for joy, and I do it for health. It's interesting that for 90% of the patients, they just need to get off their keisters. But there's this other portion of the patients that the extra exercise isn't necessarily going to improve things. Do you think this is a part of an inflammatory issue, or do you think that there's more to it that we have to figure out? Well, I actually think, and as you're well aware, there, there is this prothrombotic issue. In the Boston Marathon, it'll be in a couple of weeks, and we always have this concern. There's been some argument, maybe everybody should take a baby aspirin before they run a marathon, that there is this kind of procoagulant, prothrombotic effect going on. Um, it's very, very, very rare. And again, I think most people who are doing endurance or intense athletes, they're, they're phenomenally fit people to begin with. So I tend not to worry about them very much, even though there's some rare events. I worry far more about my patients who haven't worked up a sweat since high school. I mean, these are the people who I really want to inspire to say, you don't have to do vigorous exercise, but just walk to work. I have a lot of patients who are, are high-powered businessmen downtown Boston. And, I, and they say, I don't have time for this. And I say, yes, you do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to give up your executive parking spot and you're going to park two or three blocks away from work. And if you're on the 28th floor of the Hancock Tower, I want you to get off on the 23rd floor and walk the last five flights. You, there's ways of building this exercise into your day that gets you from being nothing to substantial without changing any time of the day. 
And I think that's the biggest place to start for these folks. Coltacine has been shown to be beneficial in some patients with coronary artery disease, presumably through its anti-inflammatory pathways. Do you believe we should be expanding the use of this therapy? I do. Patients who've had a prior heart attack, patients who've had a prior angioplasty or bypass surgery, you may want to talk to your physician about coltacine. Coltacine is a very inexpensive drug. It's been around for 75 years. It's an anti-inflammatory drug that has been proven now in two randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials, our standard of care, to substantially lower cardiovascular risk. And many physicians are really not aware of that. It's not marketed by a major pharmaceutical company. So you may have to ask your physician about it. And if you happen to have an elevated CRP, it's even more effective. It's an inexpensive drug that uh, you should ask your physician about and say, is it appropriate for me? I have patients who will come into my office taking turmeric or other supplements for their anti-inflammatory effects. How do you guide these patients? How do you speak to them about this? Well, actually, I like these patients because they've already incorporated the fundamental biologic principle. If they're doing it because they know about the inflammation, then they're three-quarters the way where I want them anyway. They're probably ahead of their physicians, by the way. It sounds to me like they really read about things. They understand where things are going. Whether turmeric itself is or isn't anti-inflammatory is a debatable issue. There certainly is some data suggesting that it probably is. It's not like it's been tested in clinical trials the way we would test other drugs. But my sense is my patients who come to me with that story, they're doing the other things I want already. If they're going that route, they're probably eating pretty well. They might be vegan. They might be vegetarian. They certainly have cut red meat out of their diets at that point. Um, they're probably exercising, and I'm sure they don't smoke. So I'm actually pretty happy because these are patients who are already endorsing this healthy living approach. So I'm good with that. Many of those patients, I still might encourage, hey, I think, even though I'm sympathetic to this worldview, you might still want to be on, say, a statin or maybe on coltacine. Why do I go down that road? Many people who are sort of in the health foods community also might be taking red yeast rice, which, you know, is highly variable in its statin content. And it's kind of like saying, I believe in the biology, but I don't believe in the pharmaceutical. Well, that's okay, but I find red yeast rice to be so variable. And there's a recent study that I actually participated in where we saw no reduction in cholesterol at all with these supplements. So, you know, I want to encourage people to eat well, think well. I think we as physicians have to respect everybody's worldview as part of our job. But I also probably will politely try to push these folks to think about statins if I think they need it. By the way, if they're well controlled and they're doing well, I'm not going to make them. This has been a wonderful discussion. Probably the most important takeaway for many of our patients is that in order to treat inflammation, to treat high sensitivity CRP, that it has to be tested first. Part of the limitation is that we're just not looking for it routinely. If you don't measure it, you can't really think about it and you can't treat it. So from a clinician's point of view, I would never treat someone's blood pressure without knowing their blood pressure. I would never treat someone's cholesterol without knowing their cholesterol level. So you're right. I think your listeners may have to ask their physicians, hey, have you measured CRP in me? What's my inflammation like? Should I be worried about that inflammation? The same way you would ask them, hey, what's my blood pressure? What's, what's my cholesterol level? And, and that's a good take-home message for everybody. Well, this has been wonderful. If there's any way that I can get you back again, because there's so many other questions that I would like to ask you, you've been at the forefront of cardiovascular research for decades. This has been a wonderful experience for me, and I hope that you enjoy this as well. It's my pleasure, Tom.
Thank you.